Good morning, West Ridge. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> Liars. Um, you know, some pastors won't tell you, some messages are harder than others. Some topics are more difficult to cover in a 20-minute segment, and sometimes I draw the short stick here at Westridge. I sometimes, quite frankly, am a victim. Because, uh, you know, I get the every-other-year sex sermon, I get to cover end times in 20 minutes, um, I get to do the Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July kinds of things. But today, today is my lucky day. Because I would have picked this passage out of all passages other than the Gospels in the New Testament. I haven't been affected by studying, preparing for a message like this one for a long time. Because it talks about our journey toward God. It talks about where we begin. It talks about the middle step. It talks about where we end up. And oddly enough, in realizing at one time, the place that, to, that we begin is to realize that we've all at one time been zombie-like. We were dead, even though we thought we were alive. Now, deadness is not dead physically. It's deadness of the soul. It's dead to God. We all start out dead to God. Think about physical death. Physical death is a is an inability to respond, no matter the stimulus. Physical death, you can't react to anything. Spiritual death, it's the same thing. All the affection, the compassion, the love of God, nothing. Nothing there, no pulse. It's not a matter of being inanimate. It's as one theologian says, it's a case of death walking. It's a matter of being zombies. Because zombies are dead, except what? They don't know. They're dead. There's a couple of live people here today. They're the living dead. Maybe you're a fan of the TV series. Dead people just go through the motions. Jesus put those two ideas together, physical death and spiritual death, when he called a man to follow him. And the man said, Well, I'll follow you, but... First, let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus made what at first seems a rather enigmatic statement. He says, let the, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, let the zombies, the spiritual dead, bury the physical dead... I've got better things for you to do than that. I love this passage from Ephesians chapter 2 because it describes the beginning, middle, and end of our journey with God. You determine where you are on the journey today and let me challenge you to take the next step. Here's the first step. Here's the beginning. Get out of the grave. Walk away from being a death walker. The Bible tells us that sin puts us in the grave. And I think that that one word sin is still quite misunderstood in America. So we need to go a bit deeper into that word today. And I know what you're saying to yourself, oh man, I picked the Sunday, they're going to talk about sin all day. Or we're going to try to do it in maybe a little bit different way than you've come to understand it. 
Literally, the word means missing the mark. It's a shooting term. A person shoots his arrow at the target. The arrow misses. That's sin. The word trespass means to slip or fall or stumble. Maybe you didn't intend to take that exit in life, but you did, and now you're going the wrong direction. All of us have taken the wrong turn in life sometime. Missing the mark, stumbling, they're the result of deadness. That's what dead people do. They stumble around a lot. They stagger around a lot. They trip over things a lot, right? The question is, what is the target we've missed? The answer is life. We've missed life. Specifically, we've missed the perfect life of Jesus. And since we missed the mark of life, we are in fact dead to a quality of life that is unobtainable on our own. Now, too many people determine that sin is not a problem in their life because they can find examples of far worse people. They compare themselves with others. Drug dealers, armed robbers, gangsters, general managers of the Cubs... And they say to themselves, well, at least I'm not any of those things. Therefore, I must be pretty good. Wrong concept of sin. Missing the mark is failing to be what I could be, should be, every second of every day my entire life. So let's see. Let me just reflect on my own life a second or two. Have I always responded lovingly to my wife and children? Have I always perfectly honored my father and mother? Have I given every employer I've ever had 100% of every second I was on the job? Have I always responded in the best interest of those I've supervised and in every position of power that I've had? Have I ever hurt someone and didn't even know it? Well... That's just five questions. And I failed every single one of them probably thousands of times. So, yes, I've missed the mark of life. Real, compelling, authentic life. Now, religion that stresses lack of knowledge as the problem will define sin in terms of mistaken beliefs. I want to present a little bit different view today. When our relationship with God is understood as a personal encounter, sin will be understood as that which spoils the relationship. It's that which causes alienation and estrangement. Sin reverses and distorts what we're meant to be. Sin is the disruption of our relationship with God. And because God is love, sin should be understood essentially as a refusal of love. The meaning of sin is that instead of trusting God and finding security in Him, we find it in ourselves. Sin is the refusal to find our security in God. And so, from this perspective, breaking the love relationship with God not only causes us grief, it also brings great pain to God. I don't have time to unpack that, but just real briefly, Jesus weeps over the city 
of Jerusalem, Matthew 23. Isaiah describes God's sorrow, chapter 65. Hosea, in Hosea, God asks himself what he can do with his people in the face of this betrayal, chapter 11 of that Old Testament book. And so on the cross, we see what sin is in its essence and we see what its remedy must be. The death of Jesus shows what sinners are prepared to do when God comes to them and what God is prepared to do to save His ungodly enemies. In putting Jesus to death, sinners revealed how far they are willing to go to be God's themselves. It also shows us the decision to create human beings was a risky thing for God. Making a creature capable of love meant creating a person with the possibility of either receiving or refusing love. And so when the Bible says we're dead, it has to be understood relationally. Relationships can die, right? And you can't revive them on your own by creating a profit and loss statement. Love can't be measured on a ledger. Now let's suppose at the end of every month I have an accounting session with my wife. Here's the checklist. Uh, This month I screamed and swore at you, abused you, was emotionally distant. Okay, we'll put that on this side of the ledger. However, it's empirically provable that I also provided a roof over your head, three meals a day, clothing for the winter weather, balanced the checkbook, and, 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 and bought you a highly efficient vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Guess we're good, because the balance sheet proves it. Five to three, happy Valentine's Day, honey. (laughs) You know, that's not the way relationships work. Admitting I'm dead in my transgressions and sin is the first step back to God. Step two, the middle point. Get grace, the gift of life. Now things look bleak. I'm dead in my sin. I'm a zombie staggering around, tripping, falling, stumbling. Don't even know the harm I'm causing. Things look bleak. How is this relationship with God healed? How is it restored? And in this passage, we see the two most hopeful words in the English language. But God. But God. The Bible presents this unique portrait of God. The gods of religions tend to sit back and enjoy their status as gods. But the Gospels reveal that the one true God does not remain distant, demanding better performance. Though that may have been the picture of God you were taught at some point in your life. I'm asking you to see a different picture today. The God of the Bible takes the initiative to reconcile the relationship. It's not God who needs to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to God. And according to the New Testament, God chose the path of incarnation 
The Word became flesh and lived among us. God decided to become what He was not, to become human. Now keep in mind, the real issue here is a broken relationship, not a breach of contract. It's possible to atone for a broken law, not a broken heart. And sin is breaking God's heart. The cross did not purchase God's love. God's love for us is everlasting. The cross was the answer to our need to be brought back from the dead and to be able to love God again. That's what we were created for. Jesus didn't die to change God's attitude toward us, but to change our attitude toward God. The real challenge was how to save us from ourselves. And the solution was incarnational. God elects to defeat His enemies. Watch this. He chooses to defeat His enemies by turning the other cheek, by accepting the wounds inflicted upon Him, absorbing all the hurt our sins has caused, Even as sinners drive the nails into his hands, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Not lashing out, not retaliating, not holding out for satisfaction. God simply loves. The pain of the cross, that's the cost to God of restoring the broken relationship. Grace is God's willingness to keep on loving in spite of everything. It's God's, it's God's gift at a tremendous cost to His own heart. It was God's desire from the beginning to be gracious to us sinners. The question, how to bring about this salvation? Sin would have to be taken seriously. Something would have to be done in place of a penalty. Something would have to encourage us to stop sinning. Something would have to impact God. God took care of this in the cross of Jesus Christ. And our only response to such an amazing act is to accept the gift. To trust that our God really does love us with an everlasting love. Can you believe that? Can you trust that? To say yes. I was dead. I was blind. I don't deserve it. But it's mine. Faith is coming into a trusting relationship with God. Paul says we're saved by grace. That comes from God. And that we enter into this new relationship of love by faith. Because it's possible to hear about this gift and to refuse. God provides the light by which we can see His everlasting love, but the light does not break our will. It does not force our desire. And once we enter into this relationship of trust, the question now becomes, will the two partners be faithful to each other? And the reality is, our end of the relationship will have ups and downs. Lots of them. 
But we can count on God's faithfulness in a way he cannot count on ours. One theologian puts it this way, our wavering faithfulness is upheld on all sides by God's unwavering faithfulness. That faithfulness is not dependent on our faith. Here's step three. It's the final step. Get going. It's the gift of gratitude. When we accept God's grace in faith, we become, Ephesians tells us, God's workmanship or handiwork. Now, that word, not to get all Greeky on you, but it only appears twice in the New Testament. And the first four letters of that Greek word, handiwork or workmanship, are these letters. P-O-E-M. Poem. We're God's poem. And the word came to mean a masterpiece. From missing the mark to masterpiece because of God's grace. God intended all along for us to be like Jesus. And so our good works, they don't earn us salvation. They are the result of us accepting God's amazing grace. Paul's writing to people who have accepted this grace through faith when he writes this in Romans chapter 12. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday life. Everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you. It's the best thing you can do for Him. Some translations say that we are a living sacrifice, and we tend to think of the sacrifices in the Bible as the practice of animals being killed, but most of the sacrifices of the Bible are gifts of gratitude. By the mercies of God, we offer ourselves in gratitude as living sacrifices. True religion is bringing God gifts, bringing the best we have. Because sin robs God of the gifts of thankful praise. We're restoring that to Him. And this new life, in contrast to the dead one, it energizes, it brings fulfillment, it provides satisfaction, it gives purpose. It brings an end of striving to impress. And when you really understand this unconditional love, God is practically irresistible. Why would anyone reject the one whose very character is everlasting love towards humans? We're moved to love God because He first loved us. The good news about Jesus is indeed a pearl of great price, Matthew 13. It's the answer to anyone who's restless and unfulfilled, who seeks meaning and forgiveness. John's Gospel, chapter 11, describes the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a beautiful story. You might want to reread it this week. What's interesting is what Jesus said after Lazarus came out of the tomb. Jesus is there and he's wept over his friend. He brings him back to life. They pull him out of the tomb. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. Let him go. Or as Peterson puts it, unwrap him and let him loose. 
when God raises us from the dead, He expects us to get out of the grave. (laughs) Turn Him loose. Set Him free. You can't live your life tied up in grave clothes. Turn Him loose. Or as we'd say in Chicago, get out of here. And when Jesus raised you from the dead, it wasn't just to let you roam around the cemetery in the grave clothes of deceit and anger and ego and strife and unforgiveness and unfaithfulness. He picked you up out of the grave to live a new life, a life that begins now and continues on into eternity. Turn him loose. It's not religion and rules and rituals, it's life. And a lot of people know the lingo and they can keep up the appearances. But knowing Jesus means life. And that's the message that Paul wants you to hear from this passage. Lose the grave clothes. Let the dead bury the dead. You've been bound by sin too long. Turn them loose. Now this passage, it almost demands that I ask you a question. At the end. Are you tired of staggering around the cemetery? Bound by grave clothes? If you are. Then you need to say with me. I want to be free. I want to live. You can say that right now to yourself I want to be free I want to live I want to say yes to God's gift and when you do you need to get out of the cemetery you need to get out of the grave you need to walk away from being a death walker you need to get grace You need to trust that God really does love you with an everlasting love. You need to get going. Because you know what? You're a masterpiece.